Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. It was a really, really tough mission that a man named Epaphroditus was sent on. Epaphroditus, not a normal name, right, for our day, but certainly quite normal for his day. He lived in the city of Philippi where the Apostle Paul had come and preached the gospel. Uh, He had come to Christ. He'd received Christ as Savior like so many had there. And they had made it a point, the Philippian Christians, to help Paul with his ministry, to send money to him, to support him so that he could focus his time on preaching the gospel and and talking with people. And and they had done this on a fairly regular basis. But what had happened is Paul had got himself thrown in jail, right? In in Jerusalem and then to to, uh, Caesarea there in Israel. And then finally, after a few years, makes it to Rome. And so things have been in upheaval and, and, and changed. But now Paul's in a situation where he's gonna be there for a couple years, but he needs some sustenance, he needs help. And the Philippians have... Uh, said, we have to send help. We have to get it there somehow. And Epaphroditus was entrusted with that mission to go from Philippi, which is in Greece, to Rome, which is in Italy. And it was about, uh, you had about a 350-mile trip to, um, I don't remember what sea that is there, Uh, but anyway, a 350-mile trip to the sea. It's about an 80-mile boat ride and then another 350 miles to Rome, okay? And so he was entrusted with this. He's given, I don't know how he carried it, but he, they, maybe he has a companion or two, but he has um, a lot of money with him, most likely, which makes him prime candidate for what? Robbers, that's right, okay? So I mean, it's, it's not a safe trip. It's a big trip, and, and they're wanting to get it there as soon as possible. Well, we don't know the exact details, but this is what seems to have happened based on what we read here in Philippians. Most likely, as, as he was traveling, something happened, and he got sick. He came down with something, something really serious. Uh, and so he's getting sicker and sicker, and maybe someone with him, he sent him back to Philippi, or they, they, maybe they went to the, the, the sea with him, and then they went back or whatever. But he is sick, but he, 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 he can't, he's not really in a situation where he can just stop. Not to mention, he, they, want, they need to get this to Paul. Paul is in desperate need of this support. And so he presses on, and he's sick and gets sicker, and he presses on. And the, the boat and the, and the travel to Rome. And by the time he gets to Rome, most likely he staggers in, you know, delivers the support and then collapses. In fact, the scriptures tell us that he was very, very close to the point of death. Okay, so he had fulfilled this mission, even though it almost cost him his life. And now he's there for a while and, and, and he slowly recovers and eventually recovers and he stays there and he's helping Paul. And as we read uh, in the passage of Scripture today, Paul uh, is going to send him back to Philippi with this letter that we're looking at. Paul's writing this letter and he's sending Epaphroditus back with this letter. So let's, let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be on page 1350 in the Bible that's in the chair there. 
There should be one under the chairs there in front of you, page 1350. But before we do that, before we actually read, I'm going to tell you what we're going to find here. We're going to find two, two big ideas. One is the right perspective that Christians need to have, the right perspective on life. And the other is how do we respond to that perspective. So what is the right response? Okay, we're going to see that. And here's what we're going to discover, okay? This statement, that this is the way a Christian, the right perspective with the right commitment. I am going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do whatever it takes to accomplish what God has given me to do, even if it kills me. Now, we use that last statement sometimes, right? I'm going to do this even if it kills me. Or even if it's the last thing I do or whatever. And that's, and that's communicating something that, you know, which is important to us, we want to do it. But I mean this literally. Because this is what the scripture teaches us, okay? Uh, that when God has given you something to do, and he has given all of us something to do, when he gives us something to do, we need to surrender to that and say, I'm going to do what it takes. I'm going to do what it takes to accomplish this calling that God has put on my life, even if I lose my life in the process. That's the way every Christian should view their life and how they live it. Okay? All right. So let's go here now and, and read. You'll see this. Starting in verse 19. Paul's writing, he says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. And he said, Paul would normally want to go to the Philippians and, and you know, thank them himself and, and teach them and spend some time with them. He can't because he's in jail. Okay. So he's saying, I'm going to send Timothy. You know, Timothy is a companion. I'm going to send Timothy to you. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send, Tim, Tim, to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. So his plan is now to send Timothy to be with them, spend some time with them, see how they're doing, hear what their questions might be, and then to come back and report to Paul. And then he describes Timothy. He says, for I have no one like-minded, like-minded like me, he's talking about, who will sincerely care for your state. In other words, your, your condition, your, your well-being, who's going to sincerely care for you. Verse 21, for all seek their own not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Now, we probably go back into the chapter one. Do you remember when Paul talked about the fact when he was in jail that other people had picked up and were preaching and that they weren't all preaching for the right reasons? Remember some of them had an ax to grind with Paul and they were doing that and others had their own motives. These are the people he's referring to. He thought, who can I send? And the ones that maybe could go or be able to send, he looks at their lives and says, this is what he says, he says, they seek their own, it's their own plans, their own will, their own desires, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And then he continues talking about Timothy. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So that's what he's hoping for and that's what he's looking for. All right, so who is this Timothy fella? Okay. Well, uh, when Paul was uh, going around this part of the world 
preaching the gospel, helping to start churches, you know, spending time with them, helping them to grow in their faith. Uh, he came to a place called Derby, Derby and Lystra. It was an area. And he, it, this is what it describes. Acts 16 says, he came, Paul, he came to Derby and Lystra and behold, a certain disciples there named Timothy. He was well spoken of by the brethren. Paul wanted to have him go on with him and he did, okay? And Timothy was very much a part of the rest of the story of uh, the New Testament and what happens. And so Timothy shares Paul's heart, and which, is, which is God's heart here. Let's look back here again and talk about what this is and what this means. He contrasts in verse 20, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. And what Paul is saying here is that Timothy and I see that differently. Timothy and I understand that living life as a Christian is more important than any of those other things you could add. Okay? It's not about seeking your own desires. It's not about doing what you think you want to do. It's about coming to the conclusion, we'll talk more about this in a little bit, but coming to the conclusion of what does the Lord want me to do? And then doing that. So he and Timothy both have that perspective that, that the Lord comes first in their lives no matter what. And so this is where we see this perspective. It's God's perspective on the Christian life in this word here. And it's Paul and Timothy's perspective and it's a perspective we need to have. And it starts with this idea. Christ comes before all else in our lives. Go ahead and go to that slide if you would, Dave. Christ comes before all else in our lives. Now, if you've been around here for a while, that, that idea shouldn't surprise you, right? Last year we've spent quite a bit of time in the book of Colossians, and who knows how many times we reminded ourselves of this verse. You remember Colossians 1.18? Uh, why don't you read it with me? Here we go. Right? That in all things, read it out loud with me, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And how many things? All things that he should be first in our lives, okay? Before anything else. And so this is where... Paul and Timothy are at, and this is the right perspective on the Christian life. And so, let's look back over here in chapter, a little earlier in chapter two. Look at verse 12. We really camped on this last week. It says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And here's the, the two phrases. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And you remember, we said that this idea of fear and trembling means that this is important. This is something you absolutely must pay attention to. Work out your own salvation, okay? Now, we use this stage up here to kind of lay out our Christian life. There's, there's before we come to Christ, and then there's the time when we, that moment when we receive Christ, when we realize that we've sinned against a holy God, and, and that will separate, it has separated us from God, and will separate us from God forever in a place called hell, but that, that God loved us so much he sent his only son, Jesus, into the world. Wait, before I go on, how many of you have heard this before? A lot of times? Are you tired of hearing it? No, we aren't, okay? So God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world. 
uh, who becomes a human being, the man Jesus, lives a perfect sinless life, dies on the cross, and as he dies on the cross, God the Father took the penalty for all of our sins and placed it on him. And he died paying that penalty so we don't have to. But we must recognize that we need a savior, recognize that Jesus is indeed who the Bible says he is and he did what the Bible says he did. And then we can, by faith, receive him as savior. Say, Lord, that's me. I'm the one who needs a savior. And I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. I receive him as my savior. And the good news is that at that point, deep down inside of us, you know, we're spiritual beings deep down inside. Deep down inside of us, he has forgiven every sin. I mean, it's all forgiven. Every sin you've ever committed or ever will commit. Hey, let's go have a party. No, you don't want to do that. He's forgiven. He's provided the payment for every sin. Okay, so you have forgiveness for those things. You now have eternal life. If this life comes to an end for you, you go on living with the Lord in heaven. And then he moves inside. And this is the life-changing thing. The Holy Spirit, Jesus in the form of the Holy Spirit, he comes and he moves into our lives and has changed us forever. We are now like Jesus deep down inside. Well, there's a problem with that. I mean, it sounds like all blessing, but the problem is it's down deep inside. And that's good news too, because that's where you're, who you really are. But so what needs to happen? What did we just read? He says what? Work it out into your life. This salvation which you receive in the Lord, this changed heart, this forgiveness, work this out into your life. Work it outward. Get it out here. Live it. Let it change the way you think. Let it change the way you feel. Let it change what you do. Let it change what you don't do. Work it out into your life with fear and trembling. This is important. This matters. And it must be above everything else in your life and should affect everything else in your life and how you live. So as we do this, we, we think, okay, I'm working a salvation on my life. He's, he saved me. I now belong to him. This is good news. My eternal destiny is heaven. And what do I do in the meantime? Okay, so I can think, he saved me and he's, he's, he's Lord and all this. What does this mean in my life? What does this mean in my personal life? I gotta work this out. What does this mean in my personal life? What does it mean in my family? What does it mean in my role in my family? Husband, father, wife, mother, child, siblings. What does it mean? What does it mean in my work, in my career, to work this salvation out into my life? What, what does it mean uh, for us as a church, right, to work this salvation out into our lives? And all of our other relationships, what does it mean? But the idea is, is our whole life as Christians should be about working this salvation in our life because, and that should be over all. I'm a, I'm a Christian, that, and that defines Christ becomes what? Before how much? All else in our lives. And so all of these things that are in our lives need to be governed. And by, you could feel great stress about right now. How in the world can I do all that? Well, you know, the nice thing is the Lord just is patient with us and works with us and we keep learning, we keep growing. You know, um, contrary to the popular belief of a few people, I am not perfect. Okay? Pastors aren't perfect. And so there are things in my life today that I look at differently and I do differently than I did in the past. Even though in the past I thought I was getting something right, you know, and now I have more understanding, more insight, and so I'm doing it differently. God's not upset with me about that. But he's helping me to change. And I can't 
set those things aside as a Christian. We can't do that. And, and, and what happens is if we take any of these things, aspects of our lives, and we elevate it above the idea of the Lord's in charge, right? The Lord is over all this in my, my whole life. I'm trying to, to live the way he wants me to live. And I take one of these things and, and I kind of elevate it and say, okay, God, I got this one. You know, you're okay over there. I got this one. And we don't consciously, I can't imagine any of you today would say that to God. But we can find ourselves living that way. And that is a disaster. And I said it last week, but when you take what God intends, you know, he has a certain way he wants it to be and it's a part of your life and he tends it to be a blessing in your life. And then you elevate it and make it something that God didn't intend for it to be. And you're kind of setting God, pushing him out of that picture a little bit. Uh, and you may say all the right things, but in your heart, you're not doing the right things. At, at best, this becomes disappointing. Because ultimately, it can't take God's place in your life. Right? Uh, it can't, and then at worst, it becomes a curse in your life. Because it's just working against you and what God has for you, okay? So we want to think of this, because I think one of the, uh, an example of this would be in the family. Because we think, what's God want in my family? How does he want me to live? And what are, what's, you know, whatever your role is in that family and all that. How many think family is important? Right? It's one of the things that we really think is important. And I will say to you that over the years, I have heard people who say, well, yeah, you know what? We're not going to come to church you know, because my work schedule has changed and, and we need some family time. Okay? Because family is important. And you know, if that happens for a week or two in a certain circumstance, no big deal. But when that becomes the way you approach life, that is a problem, isn't it? You understand what I'm saying? Because what have you just done? You're saying this good thing that God has given me is I'm now going to make it more important than all the other things the Lord has me doing. And that's going to become my focus. And when we do that, it's just messed up. It's, it's, not, it's not really a Christian way to live. And you can have this family and check off all the right boxes. We're going to do all these right things together. We're going to try to be a Christian family, all that kind of stuff. But eventually it doesn't work because it's not in the place that God wants it to be. It's not yielded to him. It's not surrendered to him. Anything in your life that is not yielded to him or surrendered to him eventually becomes a problem. It works against you. Okay? Once again, let me encourage you. We're going to see in chapter 3 when we get there. Because this is a lot of stuff to think about. What do you mean everything? Okay, everything, everything. What's the Apostle Paul in chapter 3, is, we're going to see he's going to say, hey, let's, let's do this. The things we're talking about. Let's, let's live this way. He says, and if you're messing up in some way, God will show it to you. I can rest, can't I, in the Lord? And just keep working at it. And he'll enable me to do those things and show me the things that I need to do. All right. So all of these things, Christ must come before all else in our lives. And so but now it brings us to the question, what is it that Christ is calling me to do? And for Epaphroditus, it became clear. God is calling for me now is to go on this mission and take this support to Paul who desperately needs it. And so then he, you know, he got sick trying to do it and he finally fulfilled it, accomplished it. 
That was his clear calling at that point in time. But what is God calling me to do? What, and you want to ask that question for yourself. What is God calling me to do? And you might want to say, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Uh, and that could be different things at a different point in your life. But the idea is, how are, what, what is the first thing that we are always working on? We what? We surrender. And so we stay surrendered in our lives all the time. What do you want me to do? And if God's going to change something, wants me to do something different, he can let me know. He can bring that to my mind and put it in my heart and work the circumstance. And it can come clear to do that. But we do want to be saying, what is God calling me to do in my personal life? What is God calling me to do in my family situation? What is God calling me to do with respect to my work and my career? What is God calling me to do with respect to the fact that most of the world doesn't know about him? What is God calling me to do? And that we have this surrender to him. And so what I want to challenge you about this today, we're talking about the right perspective here, right? That Christ must come first before all. And so that brings the point of saying, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want to encourage you to to listen to the words that uh, an elderly gentleman spoke to Samuel in the Bible. Samuel wasn't sure what he was hearing, whether he was hearing for God or not. And he said, okay, when he says, when you aren't sure, he says, here's what I want you to say. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Man, I want you to live that way every day, every moment of every day. And we aren't going to be perfect in that, but we can grow in it, right? And so more and more, Lord, I'm listening. Show me. And I guarantee you that if that is the desire of your heart, the Lord, I want to live the way you want me to live. I want to, whatever you call me to do, I want to do it. I just don't know what it is. He's not going to say, well, just keep guessing. No, he's going to, you know, he can work in your life. He can bring things to your attention. He can put it in your heart. He can, you know, provide circumstances. All right. And so this right perspective Christ comes before all else in our lives. Go ahead and go to that, Dave. Christ comes before all else in our lives. And, and I'm not saying you're making this commitment here with me, but would you read the letters and the words in blue out loud with me here? Ready? I am going to do whatever it takes to accomplish what God has given me to do, even if it kills me. And it possibly could. So let's look now at Epaphroditus. Let's go to verse 25. So we've seen the right perspective. Now we want to see what's the right response. Paul says, yet I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Notice he's decided, I'm, going, I'm sending this letter with Epaphroditus. That's why he's here with you when you're reading these, these words. I consider it necessary to send to Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. In other words, he, Philippians had sent him and had brought the support that he needed. Verse 26, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Obviously, Paul had come to love Epaphroditus. 
Therefore I sent him the more eagerly, that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness. Celebrate him coming back here, okay? And hold such men in esteem. Someone like Epaphroditus, hold him in esteem. Honor him. Look up to him. Look up to him as an example. Follow his example. Well, what was Epaphroditus' example? Well, let's look here in the verse. Verse 30. He just said in verse 29, hold such men in esteem, and he says, because, this is the reason, because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. All right. So what was it about Epaphroditus an example? He took this right perspective and he acted on it and lived it out. And we see this. First of all, Epaphroditus' life was about the work of Christ. It's about the work of Christ. This came first, just like we've been talking about, right? Before everything else, doing this work that God had given him to do, that is what I have to do. Even if it, what? Kills me. And that's the second thing we see here. He, he saw himself as expendable for the work of Christ. Even if it takes my life, I'm going to do this. And finally, because he lived this way, he made a difference in the work of Christ. He made a difference. And probably did for years after this as well. Now, let's, let's talk about the, the right response then to you know, Christ must be before all else in my life. And this, what's the, this right response? And that's that you have to see the priority of your life being about Christ. The priority, the top priority of your life being about Christ. And um, this isn't just here in this letter we're reading. This is all the way out through the Bible, all sorts of places. And it starts off with Jesus telling his disciples, which is us who have believed, But seek, what's the next word? First, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And by the way, he goes on and says, and God will take care of everything else that you need. But anyway, so then also, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, as the Corinthians were choosing to, or the Macedonian Christians actually were choosing to sacrifice to serve the Lord, says, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and then to whatever. By the way, that's always an important thing. An opportunity comes your way. Oh, what a great opportunity. I'm going to take it. I'm going to go. That might be the right thing to do, but what you need to do is is stop and say, okay, wait a minute, Lord, I'm yours. First, I'm giving myself to you again. And then, if you want me to, I will take this opportunity. See the difference? Okay. All right. And so, some more verses. Uh, Paul talking about his own situation. He said, this is in Acts 20. The Holy Spirit testifies in every city saying that chains and tribulations wait me. I'm headed for Jerusalem and everywhere I go, the Christians are telling me, wait, don't you know what's going to happen when you get there? You're going to be taken prisoner. You're going to have all sorts of problems and troubles. Look what he says. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. Epaphroditus, not regarding his own life. Because he had to do what God had given him to do. Paul's saying the same thing, right? 
nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to finish what God has given me to do. Uh, anyway, it says to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. And then in Romans chapter 16, Paul talking about some of his companions. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. That was a married couple. And he says, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who did what? Who risked their own necks for my life. To whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. So they risked their own lives, really. And then there's just a mindset in Romans chapter 14. And it was, this is a, a, a verse that was just so foundational and transformational for me to look at my life this way. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, here it is, what? We are the Lord's. My life is his. I belong to him. And I'm glad that I do. And whatever he gives me to do, I, I, I have to worry about confidence. So here's the way the, way the Bible presents the Christian life. Remember I said last week, uh, uh, you, Christianity cannot be an add-on. Christianity that's an add-on is not the kind of Christianity that we see in the Bible. That's something of your own making. True Christianity, biblical Christianity, is an all or nothing kind of thing. And so we're talking about all through Philippians here, but this idea of going all in. I'm all in with you, Lord. I'm all in. Whatever it takes, wherever this leads, even if it's gonna take my life. Now, does living this way seem risky? This might cost me my life. Now, thankfully, the reality is for most of us, that's not the case, right? We're probably not going to die for following Jesus in the United States of America at this time in history. But you know, there are people around the world and other places that do lose their lives because they're Christians today. I mean, so this is not some crazy idea. So there does seem like risk. But the question is, is it just Bible talk? Yeah, that's what they did in the Bible. That's what something like Epaphrodite. That's Paul and that's Timothy stuff, okay? Not us stuff. Is that the case? No, it's for all of us. What I wanna do here for the next few minutes is to share some examples with you, just a couple of examples of uh, one person in the early 1800s and then another one in the mid 1900s. And there, I'm sure there are many, many others we don't know about, but to flesh this out. So let me talk to you about Adoniram Judson. Uh, go ahead and go to that slide there if you would. Adoniram Judson and his wife, Anne. In February of 1812, what else happened in 1812? The War of 1812, that's right, with, with Britain. And that affected things around the world, too. India was a British colony, and this is where he's, it's, so there's, there's ramifications. In February of 1812, Adam Iron Judson got married, was ordained in the ministry to be a missionary, and got on a boat with his new wife headed for Calcutta in India. Going to go be a missionary. He was a Congregationalist. On the six-month voyage to India, the Judsons did a thorough Bible study on baptism, and they ended up changing their beliefs about baptism from Congregationalist to Baptist. And so as a result, when they arrived in India, Adoniram and his wife were both baptized, believers' baptism by immersion, and as a result, they immediately lost all of their financial support because they were one thing, and now they've left for the other. Okay, so that was the beginning of things. Let me just go over some of the hardships that they faced because they were all in with Jesus. 
Shortly after arriving in India, they had to leave the country because of America's war with England. This is how they ended up in Burma, which is uh, modern-day Myanmar. It's between Thailand, China, and India. Okay, so they had to go someplace different than they had planned. On the ship to Burma, their first child was stillborn. A year and a half later, Anne gave birth to a son, and eight months later, he died with a fever from some unknown disease. They studied the Burmese language 12 hours a day, and it took five years to finally translate the, the Gospel of Matthew. It took another year. So six years in total before they had their first convert. Six years, one convert. After 12 years of work, they still only had 18 converts. Now, Burma ends up at war with Britain. And so during Burma's war with Britain, Adoniram was put in prison for 21 months. And it's basically a death camp, people dying. But anyway, his wife, after he goes in, gives birth to a daughter, and so she's nursing an infant, but she brings, somehow really managed to bring food out of Iron every day and, and worked with the authorities and all this to try to get him released and kept him alive. And by the way, physically, he was really affected by all of this time there. And just before he was released, though, his wife contracted a serious disease that she never recovered from. And so he, he's released and his wife dies shortly after that. And then six months later, his daughter, his two-year-old daughter dies. You ready to give up? Adoniram was ready to give up. In fact, he, what he did is he went out into the jungle and spent 40 days out there, recluse. And he came back at the end of 40 days with clarity of mind that God wanted him to continue. And so he did. And over the next 24 years, Adoniram Judson married and lost two more wives while serving in Burma. And after that, nobody wanted to marry him. <laughs> but when Judson died in 1850, after 38 years of missionary service, he left behind over 7,000 converts, 63 churches started, 123 missionaries and pastors, and God is still using his story today, even here this morning, to motivate Christians to serve the Lord and possibly serve as missionaries. Let's talk about Jim and Elizabeth Elliot. We're gonna talk about Jim briefly, but mostly we're gonna focus in on Elizabeth. Elizabeth Howard received Christ at the age of five and surrendered her life to follow Christ no matter what at age 12. She eventually became burdened to reach the Indian tribes of South America with the gospel. She met Jim Elliott in college and they both intended to be missionaries and so they dated and discussed the possibility of getting married and both of them were intent on following Christ wholeheartedly and they didn't come to a conclusion on whether or not they should get married. When college came to an end, Elizabeth headed off to Ecuador on her own to begin her work as a missionary. Jim Elliott, separately on his own, also went to Ecuador. And I guess they reconnected and they ended up getting married after about a year. And two years later, their daughter Valerie was born. Okay, Now, 10 months after Valerie's birth, 
Jim left with four other missionaries to go to the jungle by plane to try to make conduct, contact with the Warani tribe, which they used to call the Akas. The Warani tribe and begin sharing the gospel with them. So they were able to, they flew and they landed on a sandbar. They made some initial contacts. They thought it was good. And within about four days, the natives killed all of them. And so suddenly Elizabeth is a widow with a 10-month-old daughter living near the Indians who had killed her husband. It made all the sense in the world for her to just to pack up and go away and never come back. But instead, she remained and continued to, to her mission to work with this tribe of Indians she'd already been working with. And two years after this, uh, through a series of events, Elizabeth had the opportunity to travel to the jungle to connect with the very tribe that had killed her husband. Convinced that God wanted her to do this, she determined to go there. And many Christians told her she was crazy. You shouldn't be doing this. Uh, but she wrote about this and said this, as long as this is what the Lord requires of me, then all else is irrelevant. I got to do what God has given me to do, even if it kills me. Later, Elizabeth said that strapping her three-year-old daughter on her back and heading into the jungle to the very tribe that had killed her husband was the biggest test of faith ever. I can only imagine. Um, it took two days by canoe and jungle trails to arrive at the village. And arriving on the afternoon, get this, arriving on the afternoon of October 8th, 1958, which was her dead husband's birthday and what would have been their fifth anniversary. That's the day she shows up. She spent the next two years living with the tribe that had killed her husband, sharing Jesus with them. Many came to faith and received Christ as Savior, and, and the tribe was changed. Her example of love and forgiveness opened the door to the Warani's ability to understand and respond to the gospel, because they knew who she was. After two years, she left the village and returned to her ministry with the other Indians she had already been working with, and she spent three years there before returning to the United States with her daughter. But God wasn't done with her. Because back in the United States, she wrote extensively about her experiences and, and multitudes of Christians have been motivated and inspired by her testimony for, to go into missions work themselves or to support missionaries with prayer and money. And so how could she have done all this? Well, she fleshed out the kind of commitment we're talking about here today, didn't she? Let's look at some things. First, let's look at some statements about her in an article. Go ahead. It says, Elizabeth grappled with the suffering she experienced. The death of two husbands. We didn't go on and talk about that. The murder of fellow workers and many other struggles. She rejected any attempt to find explanations for such events. She didn't, I don't have to explain this. Let's go on. Importantly, Eliot concluded that God quote, has never promised to solve our problems. He has not promised to answer our questions. And yet Eliot would remind us that God has the words of eternal life. Where else shall we go? That's what Peter said to the Lord, right? And the Lord asked, you, want to, you guys going to go away too? And he says, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Okay, so let's look at some other things that she said, she wrote. 
She said, the will of God is not something you add to your life. It's a course you choose. You either line yourself up with the Son of God or you capitulate to the principle which governs the rest of the world. You either live for Jesus or you live for yourself or something you put in place there. That is the choice. And then she says this. We have proved beyond any doubt that God means what he says. His grace is sufficient. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Continue there, Dave. We pray that if any anywhere are fearing that the cost of discipleship is too great, that they may be given a glimpse of that treasure in heaven promised to all who forsake, who leave things behind to serve him. So whether it's just here in your family or in your work or whatever he's given you to do, whether, whether it's the fact that you have cancer and this is the road that you have to walk, that God is now called, whatever it is, right? Whether you go be a missionary to where no one has ever been, whatever that is, it can be risky. It can be hard. We might say, I, do I really want to do this? Well, the song Amazing Grace, John Newton, who was a converted slave trader, wrote the song Amazing Grace. And one of the verses, he says this, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. And so as you're looking at your life and saying, do I really go all in with the Lord? Do I make this commitment? Remember what God told Paul. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. I've got you. Trust me. Go all in. Go all in. And it starts with receiving Christ. If you haven't done that, you need to make that decision. And if you don't understand that or have questions, please reach out. I'd love to help you. And then... Would you read it one more time with me? The statement in blue there, ready? I am going to do whatever it takes to accomplish what God has given me to do, even if it kills me. I'm gonna ask our band to come on up. We're gonna sing here and then we'll look at questions after if we have any. Come on up, guys. And just say to you that uh, I remember when I made this commitment, this kind of uh, preaching and commitment was around, I knew about it, but I remember very clearly, um, I don't remember the date, but I remember sitting in my bedroom, looking out, it was sunrise over where we lived, it was, it was on a lake, and I was probably 21 years old, 20 years old, I don't remember. But I remember, and you've heard me say it before, but I, I reached a point, it just became clear to me where I told the Lord, okay, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to do it, whenever you want me to do it, however you want me to do it, I'll do it. And I've never once regretted that decision, even though these things have been hard. Never once regretted that, and neither will you if you choose to go all in with Jesus. So let's stand together, we'll sing. All right, let's... Um, let me answer a question here before we dismiss. It's a good question. Understanding. Even if it kills me physically. Okay. Yes. 
And then it talks about if, if, even if we don't die physically, that we are to crucify ourselves daily. It says the idea, and that means dying to the other things, dying to what we might just have a natural desire to do ourselves. Instead, we're surrendered to Jesus. And, and so, rightly says here, this is the battle, dying to self, okay? Saturating our lives with pursuing the Lord, okay? All right, um, let me encourage you. You know, if you haven't already here today, if you haven't already in your life, maybe you need to just re, rethink it and do it again in your life. This is where we need to live as Christians. And it's an amazing life to live. I encourage you to make that decision. If you have questions about it and don't know what to do about it, please talk to me or someone that you think might know, okay? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your son went all in for us, held nothing back, that we might be saved and forgiven, have eternal life. And Lord, I pray you'd stir our hearts to live the same way, to really live like Christians because we're surrendered to you in all of these things. Thank you, Lord, for the, the great blessing it is to have each other. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, God bless you guys. Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday, if not before.